And while they're serving us this morning, by way of reminder, we are in the book of Revelation. We're coming back to Revelation. We've had a number of weeks off, and we are in Revelation chapter 7 today. And I thought it would be important for us to... I'm going to fix my microphone. Sorry, Ron. I thought it would be good for us, just by way of reminder, simply to remember that the book of Revelation is the only book of the 66 books that comes with a blessing to those who read it, to those who hear it, and to those who keep the words that are contained in it. It's also the only book of the 66 books that come with its own divine outline. John, while on the island of Patmos, remember he is exiled there for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's exiled on this island because of his faith in Christ. And while there, he receives the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself says, write the things which thou hast seen, the things that are, and the things that will be hereafter. And so the book of Revelation is divided into three sections. We literally are living in section three, if you will, really section two, I guess, presently. And, uh, but we're anticipating and looking forward to section three. And we're studying where we are in Revelation chapter 7. We're in section 3. Revelation chapter 1, the things which thou hast seen, John saw while on the island of Patmos, the literal presence of Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead, he was glorified, and he was standing, communicating with John. In fact, he physically touched John after John had turned to hear the voice of the one that spoke to him. He had fallen as a dead man on the ground. Jesus touched him strengthened him, and stood, and John stood, and he saw the resurrected Christ. How encouraging for a pastor to have visually seen the resurrected Christ, proclaiming now with all heart, Jesus is alive. He's alive. I testified. I've seen the resurrected Christ. And so, the next, chapters 2 and 3 represent the second section of the book of Revelation. Seven letters to seven churches, and in their totality, in a nutshell, they represent the church age. Seven epochs of church history. We're currently living in that period of time. You and I are living in the church age. And we believe that we are coming to the end of the church age. We are living in the last days. We get to Revelation chapter 4, and something unique has transpired. John Here's the voice that he heard originally, like a trumpet, sounding, and he looks up in a window in heaven, and immediately he hears, come up here. And he is instantly in the Spirit. He is caught up, and he is in heaven. I believe, and we hold, that this is a type of the rapture of the church. There is a day forthcoming when the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise, and then we who are alive and remain... Until the coming of the Lord, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will be with Him forever. Amen. Revelation chapter 4, that is a type of the rapture of the church. And so Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, we find the church in the very throne room of heaven with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are all present there. We're also introduced in Revelation chapter 5 to a scroll that is in the hand of him who sits on the throne. 
And remember, John wept bitterly because there was no one found to open the seals, the seven seals of the scroll. Remember that the scroll was written within and without. That would be indicative of a title deed, if you will, where the words of redemption are written on the outside. And so John, understanding that this was in fact the title deed of the earth, recognizing, finding no one worthy to break the seals in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, he wept bitterly. But then he heard a voice, and the voice said, Weep not, for behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John saw in the midst of the throne room a lamb as it had been slain from the foundation of the earth. Jesus Christ, who was worthy and found worthy, and he took the scroll. And we move into Revelation chapter 6, where he begins to break the seals. He is furthering the redemption of mankind and furthering the redemption of the world. And he breaks the first four seals, and we are introduced to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Then he opens up seal number five, and in seal number five, we hear the voice and the cry of the martyrs beneath those that were giving and offering their lives for Jesus Christ and the testimony of Jesus who came to faith after the rapture. And they are asking how long to wait for vengeance, for they were martyrs that had given their lives for the testimony of Jesus Christ after the rapture of the church. And then we see the sixth seal broken, and there was cosmic disturbances, some unbelievable things, and a very large earthquake, one of three that will be forthcoming. And we come now to chapter 7. Chapter 7 seems to be a pause, like hitting the VCR and you're walking into the kitchen to get your microwave popcorn in the midst of the movie, if you know what I mean. It's a parenthetical pause. There's a stop, if you will, and then we're being shown another picture. Something else transpires in this break between the sixth and the seventh seal, and they're breaking. So Revelation chapter 7 is an entirety of that pause. Two key occurrences happen in Revelation chapter 7. The first key thing that happens is God seals 144,000 Jewish males. He seals them for the purpose of the proclamation of the eternal gospel throughout the entire world. They're going to go forth like 144,000 Billy Grahams. He's going to go, they're going to go out proclaiming the gospel. And many will be coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ during those days. 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. The second half is the second occurrence, and what we're introduced to is a great multitude of believers that also are now in heaven, and a multitude that is without number. And these are the fruit of those 144,000 evangelists during those days. So we see these servants that are sealed, and we see the fruit of their labor in chapter 7. Fascinating. Let's pick up in chapter 7. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would. Revelation chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 1, 
and we'll read through verse 8. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till I have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Father, in the next few moments, as we look into the perfect law of liberty, Father, as we consider what is transpiring in this chapter, Lord, from an understanding of this future event to, Lord, a simple application in our lives today, help us, Father, to be wiser because we've been in your word and in your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everyone said a strong amen. Amen. Very literally, there is an angel during the days of the tribulation that will come from God with the seal of God. And he will seal on the foreheads 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Literally, this will happen. And literally, they will go forth proclaiming the gospel. And they will literally be protected from the events that are about to be poured out on the face of the earth. They will be protected protected. Here's here's a quick reminder to everybody here. You see, if your faith is in Jesus today, you have God's seal in you. God has given his Holy Spirit to every believer as our guarantor. He is our earnest for the things that are forthcoming. God dwells in us. God the Spirit dwells in us. Can I suggest to everyone here, you also have the seal of God and you are protected. You are protected from the onslaught of the evil one. Jesus said, Behold, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And I have given you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions and all of the power of the evil one. Nothing I'll harm you. I want that to sink in for a moment. All of the power of the evil one, nothing shall harm you. That's God's protection in our lives. That's the seal of God. And these will have that seal. Now, it is noteworthy to recognize that this group of 12 
does not include two of the children of Israel. That you would see if you read in the book of Joshua when the land was being dispersed as an inheritance, the 12 tribes of Israel were dispersed and there are two of the tribes that are not included here. And one might ask the question, well, wait, wait a minute, I thought there was 12 tribes and you're saying here's 12, but two aren't mentioned. Doesn't that equal 14? How many of you can do that? I know it almost sounds like common core math. That might have been a poke. But here's the thing. It's important for everyone and as students of the Word of God that we understand how this works. And so I want to encourage you to take some notes today and write down Genesis chapter 48, verse 5 and 6. Something very unique happens. Let me first remind everybody here. Israel is really the grandson of Abraham. Remember, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, remember, wrestled with the angel of the Lord, prevailed, if you will, wrestled all night long, and wouldn't let go. I'm not letting go until you bless me. The angel of the Lord touched his hip. And to this day, when they receive Passover, they still don't eat a portion of the lamb. For it is a representation of what God did when he touched and dislocated Jacob's hip. Jacob went from being supplanter, heel catcher, to God changing his name to Israel which means governed by God. God changed him from a man after the flesh to a man after the Spirit. Now then, Israel had 12 sons. The second to the last son was Joseph. You would be very familiar with Joseph, certainly because a large portion of the book of Genesis in the tail end is about Joseph. But also Hollywood has done a number of things. Disneyland has done a number of things. Joseph and the coat of many colors. Certainly you know the story. Joseph had two sons. Ephraim and Manasseh. And at the end of Jacob slash Israel's life, he was blessing, but before he gave blessings on his 12 kids, he brought Joseph in. And he said to Joseph, and it's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 48, he says, Ephraim and Manasseh, like Reuben and Simeon, they are mine. They're mine. And he laid claim to those two sons. And he said, like Reuben and Simeon, they will, they will be numbered in the inheritance of their brothers. So when we get to Joshua and the land is distributed, remember that the tribe of Levi gets no physical inheritance. That is the lineage and the line that the priests and the Levites will be the ones who are working in the midst of the tabernacle. And God says of the Levite tribe, He says, 
their inheritance is me. The Lord is their inheritance. Wow. Wow. It's amazing. And Joseph isn't referenced because Joseph is represented by Manasseh and Ephraim. So there, there's 14 names but 12 tribes. Does that make sense? Everybody just nod your head and say, I, I get it. Really, there's, there's 14 groups, but one represents two, and the Levites aren't included in that land distribution. Just nod this way if you're still with me. Kind of with me? Okay. Now then, we see in Revelation 2, Dan and Ephraim are not included. And one would ask the question, perhaps, I wonder why. And interestingly enough, Joseph and Levi are inserted in there. And one might scratch their head and say, well, now, what's going on? There's a lesson for us to be learned. You see, Deuteronomy chapter 29 tells us of the children of Israel, if any man, woman, family, or tribe introduces idolatry to the children of Israel, they will be blotted out and cast out from their brethren. Here's the interesting thing. A little piece of Israel's history. And why I'm going there, what I want you to walk away with today, and this would be like the title of the message, if you will, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. A little side note, he's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful, and he's omnipresent, which means he's, he's outside of time. He transcends time. He's in time. He's out of time, and he is transcending time. In other words, he is in eternity, and this thing called the space-matter-time continuum we live in, the universe, he transcends it. He's eternity here, 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 and here. It's three-dimensional, and he's eternity all through it, and yet he exists in time as well. Does that make sense? I hope so. He's all-knowing. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Think about your life for a moment. He's all-knowing. You may be here today and you think, man, God doesn't know what I'm going through. God doesn't know my sorrow. We have several in here this morning who have lost loved ones this week. God knows your sorrow. He knows the difficulty. He knows, Chris, He knows your family, what they're going through. He knows. He knows your stuff. He knows your heartache. He knows your trials. He knows your financial woes. He knows, he knows it all. He knows your brokenness, your broken heart. He knows your sin. With God, there is no secret sin. He knows it all. He knows it all. <laughs> Here's the cool part about that. He loves us. He loves us. Praise God. Praise God. He's all-knowing. And so, he knows where these 12,000 from each of these 12 tribes are. Here's the thing. A little piece of Israel's history. After Moses died, Joshua was given the reins, so to speak. And he was to cross over the River Jordan and go in and possess the land. 
And that's what they did. They crossed over the Jordan, they went in, and they began to possess the land. And they began to dispossess those that were in the land. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and a number, even the mosquito bites were in there. But anyway, all that to say, that was what they did. They disposed of those nations that had turned their back completely on God. And they began to possess the land. And so at the end of the last handful of chapters in the book of Joshua, you find the land is distributed. And then we transition into the time of Judges. You see, Joshua dies. He's collected up, and he's gathered, and he's buried where his fathers were buried. And the Bible tells us that the next generation did not know the Lord, and they began to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And so for the next 450 years, God would raise up judges to judge the people and help them get back on track. And the perpetual, continual disobediences of the, Lord, or of the people, at least seven during the times of the judges, God raised up judges. You'd know of names like Deborah. You'd remember names like Gideon. You'd remember names like Samson. Some other names that you might not know, they're in there. encourage you to go and read it. He raises up judges. The last of the judges is a guy by the name of Samuel. And it's at about that time that the children of Israel ask for a king like all the other nations. Not realizing that they are Israel, governed by God. They are a theocracy, but they covet to be like all the other nations. Here's a lesson. You are to be governed by God, and I am to be governed by God. Let's not covet to be like those that live in the world who govern their own lives. Sometimes we look at those in the world and we say, why do they get blessed? Why do the things that they do, why do they seem to succeed? Why do they seem, why, why, why? I want to encourage you, stop looking at other people in their lives and start looking to your father. Right? Hey, we're governed by God. We're governed by God. Instead of looking at what Hollywood says is successful, what Wall Street is saying is successful, start looking to what the Word of God says and start submitting to the Lord. Stop coveting to do all those other things and start coveting to spend time with your Father who is in the secret place. Right? Right. So, Samuel has a conversation with God, and God reminds Samuel, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So we have the first king anointed, King Saul. King Saul starts off good, ends up not so good. The next in line is David. David starts off good, and he is a man after God's own heart. Does David have some issues? Yeah, David has some issues. Anybody here have issues? We all got issues. We can identify with David. That's a good thing. But remember, at the end of the day, God says, David is a man after my own heart. After David came Solomon. Solomon started off good, but he ended horribly bad. In fact, he ended up, he, he sought after all the things of this world. And he didn't only seek after the things of the world, he indulged in them. Indulged. And his son, Rehoboam. It was said at that time, the ten tribes in the north came to Rehoboam, and they were asking him to lift the load that his father Solomon had laid upon them in taxation. So he went to the elders, and the elders said, you should heed them. You should heed what they say and lighten the load. He's like, I don't know. And he goes, and he talks to his peers, and his peers are like, what? Are you kidding me? Man, you tell those cats, you're going to steep what my dad did. Now I'm going to do worse on you. So he's like, that sounds pretty good. So that's the message he delivered. Not knowing that there was a leader in the north named 
Jeroboam, who had already been prophesied by a man of God that he was going to become the king of the ten tribes in the north. They rebelled, Jeroboam did, and we have the dividing of the kingdom of Israel. Israel is divided into two. The northern tribes were known as Israel, and the southern tribes were known as Judah. There were two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, and then the other ten in the north. Well, here's the thing. 1 Kings chapter 12, write it down. 1 Kings chapter 12 will we'll tell you the story of what happened. Jeroboam, in his heart, thought, man, if the people travel down to Jerusalem to make their annual offerings at the temple, their hearts are going to return under Rehoboam, and I'm not going to be king anymore. And so he thought to himself, I will make gods for the people. And he set up two golden calves, one in Dan and one at Bethel in Ephraim. Dan, history would tell us, extra-biblically, history would tell us that Dan was the first tribe to unilaterally go for what Jeroboam had proposed. They set up the golden calf. And it's literally from one border to the other border, this idolatry was introduced to the tribes of Israel. And all of the northern tribes fell into idolatry as a result. We would see in the northern kingdoms, there really was never any good king, so to speak. And the northern kingdoms, the northern kingdom just continued to go forth in idolatry. Those two tribes who introduced idolatry are now not included in God's protection during and through the tribulation. Consequence, 2,700 years ago, the sin of Jeroboam, Dan, and Ephraim still will have an impact during the days of the tribulation. Consequence of sin. I think there's a lesson there for us, too. Do you know that unconfessed sin will continue to have consequence in your life? The Bible encourages us to confess our sins one to another. When we do, we'll be healed. We'll be what? Healed. It's taken care of. Consequences, you may still have a little bit, but God takes care of us, and it's good. It's good. So, why do I mention that? Here's the thing. God told the northern kingdom through the prophet Isaiah because of their continual rebellion, God was going to utterly destroy them, wipe them out. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrian army came in and eradicated the ten northern tribes. Now, lest you get alarmed for a moment, know that the Bible tells us that some of each of those tribes had already traveled south into the southern kingdom, and some of the two southern kingdoms had traveled up to the north. So God is preserving of the 12 tribes of Israel, but nevertheless, those 10 tribes, you may have heard of the phrase, the 10 lost tribes of Israel. It's a misnomer. They're not lost. Remember, God is what? He is omniscient. He knows right where they are. He knows right where they are. So here's the thing. A little while later, in five, about 605 B.C., the southern tribes also went into 
uh, a time of 70 years of inhabiting by uh, the Babylonian in, uh, Empire. And they were in exile for 70 years. Well, long story short, projecting it all the way forward to the time of Jesus. And after the resurrection, remember the words Jesus said when the disciples said, see how beautiful these buildings are? Look at these massive stones. And Jesus said, not one of these stones will remain atop another. At 70 A.D., the temple was completely destroyed. And all the records of the lineage and the genealogy were completely destroyed. There's now no record of genealogy amidst the Jews. And one would say, well, how is God going to figure all this out? How is he going to do it? God is what? He's omniscient. He knows. And in this day, despite what historically has transpired, and remember, too, that in 605 B.C., when the southern tribes ceased to exist, even though they maintained somewhat of a national identity, as a nation, they were gone. And all the way up to 1948, they had ceased to be a nation. Do the math. 2,500 years, not a nation. Yet they maintained their national identity throughout that entire time. And in 48, they became a nation again. A cataclysmic event in terms of that prophetic calendar, if you will. And so, we come to chapter 7, and we're reminded of God's omniscience. We're reminded that God knows, and he is going to identify 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes. In spite of all of Israel's history, in spite of the dispersion and all of the things, God knows right where they are, and he is going to seal them with his seal. Dan and Ephraim, they're not included. They're going to pass through the tribulation without the protection of the Spirit or without the protection, if you will, of the seal of God upon them. The good news is Ezekiel tells us that they will have an inheritance in the millennial reign. Dan, Will, and Ephraim. In fact, Ezekiel tells us that Dan is the first to be the recipient of an inheritance in the millennial period. That's good news, right? How many of us think it's good news? God is a God of second chances. Another good lesson for us, right? Well, I say all that to give a little bit of history. I have notes here this morning. I have four pages and I didn't use them at all. That's okay. God's omniscience. Like Israel, he knows. He knows where they are and he will he will be there, and he will touch them, and he will seal, and he will protect them. Remember that God spoke to the prophets beforehand and told them future things. When I say to you God is omniscient, you might want to write down these verses. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10. Isaiah, again, reminds us in chapter 46, he says, God, he, he speaks the end from the beginning. He speaks the end from the beginning because he knows. First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 reminds us Jesus was foreordained before the foundation of the earth. Foreordained. God knew the whole plan of salvation before anything in the universe was created. Acts chapter 15. This is a great one to write down too. Acts chapter 15 verse 18. All of the works of God are known from eternity. All the works of God are known from eternity. 
That means you and my, your life and my life are known from all eternity. What I'm going to do later today, tomorrow, the next day, foreknown. Here's the thing. Here's what I want to encourage you. Jesus, he being fully God and fully man, he set his Godhood aside. All of his God attributes he did not lay claim to while he was fully man. It's a mystery. It's kind of hard for our finite minds to wrap around. But he lived as a man just like you and I, except for he was without a sin nature. He lived completely without sin, but was tempted in every way we are. And without sin, therefore, he is able to help you and I personally in our time of need. Here's the thing. Jesus said these words. He said, I only speak what I have seen with my Father. It means he spent time with the Father. And the Father revealed to him things that he was going to encounter, occurrences that were forthcoming. I only do and I only speak the things I have seen with my Father. Jesus reminded us when we prayed to go into our room, close the door behind us, and pray to the Father who is in the secret place. And the Father who is in the secret place sees what is done in the secret place. He will reward us openly. My encouragement to you today from the Word of God and from Revelation chapter 7, an application that we can, a lesson that we can learn. Because God is omniscient, because God knows all things, we can go to our Father and talk to Him, and He will direct our path. You may be here today and you say, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Have you talked to the Father? He does. I don't know about this decision over here. Yes or no, yes or no. God knows. Have you sought him on that thing? He'll show you. He's faithful. Listen, remember, he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen? Now, I know in my own personal life, in, and, and I've been a lover of Jesus for 32, almost 33 years. And I've sought the Lord. I mean, my kids from as little as they can remember and to this very day, we'll come downstairs, and they'll see me in my chair with my Bible almost every morning of the week, no matter what. I'm up early, and I'm seeking the Lord. I'm seeking the Lord. But I will say to everyone here today, and this is my testimony, that I believe that the Father has been unveiling more. And I think it's because we're getting closer to His return. And I would suggest that there are others here this morning and maybe even your own testimony. You'd say, man, the Father has been showing me more things. Maybe more about you, maybe more about your family, maybe more about decisions, maybe answering your prayer. I don't know, but here's what I do know. If we, the children of God, will take time to spend in the presence and in the face of the Lord, in the face of the Lord, the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near to get in the very presence of God. That God the Father will begin to reveal things to you and to me. About us, 
perhaps about whom we may even encounter this coming week so that we can be prepared to love on someone and tell them, you know, this week I was praying and I had this little picture of you walking through my brain. And I just kind of knew I was going to bump into you this week and I think God maybe wants to do something in your life. Can we pray? Can I pray for you? Or maybe he'll give you a word about something going on in their life and say, listen, I think this is what the Lord is saying. Boom, 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 boom. That's a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. And it may just be the witness that they need. Maybe they don't know the Lord, and they're going to say, wait, what, God said this about my life to you? Man, that's right on. And they give their heart to Jesus because you, by faith, exercised it, and you believe that the Father had laid upon your heart. I believe God wants to do the miraculous through us. Do you believe that God wants to do the miraculous through you? He does. He does. He's been doing it for a very long time, and he wants to continue to do it. Well, that's, I believe, what God has for us this morning. We're going to come to the communion table, and when we come to the communion table this morning, two thoughts. Dan and Ephraim, they sin. There's redemption where there's sin. I want to encourage you, if you have unconfessed sin, will you confess the sin to the Lord? The Bible tells us when we come to the communion table to not come in that unworthy manner. In fact, let's go. Will you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Where's Larry? My good brother Larry said, Dave, will you read the next portion in 1 Corinthians last month when we had communion? So Larry... The Lord just prompted me. We're going right there. Thanks for, thanks for speaking that word as the Spirit prompted you. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment upon himself or to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren... When you come together to eat, wait for one another. And he goes on to say about some hunger things there. So, let a man examine himself. If we examine ourselves and there's stuff there and we don't deal with it, listen, the scripture says there is a reason why many of us are weak, many of us are sick, and some even die. That's serious. So we do not want to come to the table in an unworthy manner. Amen? Amen. What a good thing for us. I'm going to invite those who are going to serve us to come forward at this time. And uh, Pastor Dennis, if you and the worship team or those who are part of the worship team for this end time would come.
In a moment, we're going to have you stand, and you can come, and we'll receive the emblems. We'll have you make your way back to your seats. We'll pray, and we'll receive them together. And while we're preparing to do this, and while we're coming for them, while we're taking those emblems and making our way back to our seats, and while we sit for a moment at our seats, will you take a moment and simply talk to the Lord? And if the Lord reveals something, maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's some bitterness, Maybe there's something going on. Maybe you've just sinned. Maybe you've rebelled against God. Maybe you're far from the Lord and He's saying, come close, come home. Maybe you just got a laundry list of stuff and you'd say, man, Lord, I'm doing, I'm doing things my own way. I'm, doing, I'm like Dan. I'm just doing my own deal. And God, God's saying, hey, I, hey, I've been gracious with you. Stop doing your own deal. Why don't, you get on my, why don't you get on my way? Why don't you submit yourself to the Word of God? Why don't you submit to the Lord and watch how abundantly I can bless your life. And you just want to get some things straight with God. Hey, now's the time to do it. Now's the time to do it. We have plenty of time. Here's the beauty. God is so gracious. He's listening, and He is just ready to respond. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. Our brothers are up here. Can I? There we go. Thank you, Charlie. I'm going to invite you to make your way to the center aisles. Come up and receive the bread and the juice. But don't take them. Just take them back to your seat, if you will, and we'll partake of them all together. I'm releasing you to come forward. Again, take that time to talk to the Lord about what's going on in your life.
Aleluia. 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 Father, we take a moment quiet before you. Quiet before you. Lord, whatever promptings you place in our hearts, we know that they will be in accordance with your word, for you never violate your word. Lord, if there is stuff, we want to make confession. Lord, if there is someone we need to ask forgiveness, Lord, let us take note of that and be quick to do that. Lord, if we need to give forgiveness, Lord, let us be swift. For freely we have received, freely give. We listen, Lord, now. stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Jesus took the bread. He broke it and gave thanks. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this often in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for Jesus. You demonstrated your love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, you made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your obedience. Obedience to the point of death and death upon the cross. The word of God says, cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree. You became the curse for us, that the curse would not be upon us. But in Christ, we are liberated from that the curse of death, if you will, for the, sin that, for the soul that sins shall surely die. We've been freed from that in Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We give you thanks today for the broken body. Let's partake together. Hallelujah. The cup that we hold is the cup of the new covenant in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's the cup of redemption. And by partaking of it publicly today with one another, brothers and sisters, we are simply declaring that we are trusting in the new covenant of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The good news, we've been justified and our sin is forgiven. Father, thank you for your great plan of salvation. The first covenant was to point us to the recognition of our need of a Savior. We need a Savior. God, you promised the Savior in the midst of the Garden of Eden. The virgin. You, well, you said, from the woman's seed. Later, we're told by Isaiah, it would be the woman who would be with child. You provided a way for our salvation through the Christ, 
the Messiah, Jesus, your son. So, Lord, we praise you. We thank you that it is in his shed blood that we have the remission of sin. Thank you that you validated everything that you had said while you were here when you rose from the dead. You are the first fruits of the resurrection. We are part of those fruits that are forthcoming. God, today we rejoice. We give thanks for the cup. Let's partake of the cup together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, thank you. Thanks for this great family. We worship you. Lord, thank you for that which is in front of us. We thank you for the heart for the house. Lord, again, as all of us say yes, Lord, speak to our hearts. And may God, we share what we believe that you are having us to do, that we might all celebrate together. We love you and we praise you. We ask your benediction and your blessing. And all God's people said a strong amen. Amen. By way of reminder, there are, there are no services here tonight. Enjoy your evening. Enjoy fellowship and friendship this afternoon. God bless you. Have an amazing week in Jesus. God bless.